From the Cairo Radio Newsroom in Seattle, I'm Dave Ross, and these are the Ross Files. Imagine a road rage detector or a fatigue detector that would monitor your facial expression and ultimately could even pull your car over if it detected that you're not able to drive responsibly. This kind of thing could be possible with a new kind of artificial intelligence technology that can basically read what your face is saying. It's being developed by a company called Affectiva, and Gabby Ziderveld is the chief marketing officer for Affectiva. You can actually download uh, an app, which I've done, Gabby, and it's um, it's pretty remarkable. You can you ch- it will detect, for example, joy, uh, anger, frustration, disgust, or what it what it perceives to be discussed. So can you explain how this technology works? How did you get a software program to recognize human facial expressions? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So the way that this essentially works is it is software, as you said. We can access the camera if we're analyzing the human face over video. And essentially, we have built algorithms that can analyze in real time as people express emotions on their face. And the idea here is, is that our algorithms look for facial muscle movement and facial muscle movement can be mapped to very specific facial expressions and different combinations of facial expressions make up an emotion. So in very simple terms, that's how it works. Now, to actually develop algorithms that work that way is not trivial. It requires massive amounts of data to uh, train algorithms with machine learning and deep learning approaches to recognize all kinds of patterns in these many different faces so that these systems can then learn to recognize certain expressions on the human face. When you look at it, these dots appear on your image. And so it's basically plotting the movement and and distances between these dots to to map it to a specific facial, uh, a specific emotion? Yeah, the dots are not necessarily used to um, measure the facial muscle movement. It's even more granular than that. It's even at a pixel gradation level that we do that. Uh So going much deeper than that. The dots that you saw in the demo was just an idea of how uh, we can map these facial expressions and kind of a visualization of that. But deep down under the covers, it works much more at a granular level looking at uh, pixel level gradations. So you've been collecting data for a long time now. How much data do you have? How many faces do you have in your database? Yeah, good question. We've analyzed almost 8 million faces. I think it's 7.9 million faces in 87 countries. And we're adding to that data set every single day because we have ongoing studies and ongoing data collection. It's noteworthy to point out that we've uh, an- collected all this data with opt-in and consent. Mm-hmm. So every single person whose face has been analyzed has agreed to us doing so. And you've you've recruited volunteers who are willing to put the uh, the camera in their car to to watch them as they drive. Correct. So when we started uh, doing more and more work in automotive, it became critical for us to also gather a data set that was representative of how people express themselves when they're in a vehicle, either when they're driving or maybe if they're a passenger in the backseat of the car. So in that case, we do very targeted studies to collect certain types of data. Uh, We've certainly asked people, we've recruited people, and we've compensated people to put uh, kind of driver kits, as we call them, in their car. It's essentially a camera that can capture their facial expressions. And even with uh, some other technologies, we use their vocal expressions. 
because we can analyze the voice as well. So that's how we've collected data. Uh, however, for example, when you think about collecting drowsiness data, if you want to understand fatigue that manifests itself on the human face when people are driving, uh, we tend to do those uh, data collection studies in a lab because um, it is actually quite dangerous to get people sleep <laughs> to bite them and send them down the road. We just don't do that. So uh, who actually does the identification? How, how does the machine know that a certain facial expression is indicative of fatigue, for example? This is where, uh, in, in terms of machine learning approach, uh, data annotation, as it's called, is quite critical. Uh, data annotation basically entails having a subset of your data manually labeled by human labelers, by expert labelers, who look for certain expressions that's present in that data. And because you then have this annotated data that serves as the ground truth, you can use that data to train and then also test your algorithms for accuracy. So there is definitely a human involvement here, uh, which is a critical part of uh, our approach to developing these algorithms. So if I were a, a volunteer on this project and you had a, a catalog of my facial expressions, you wouldn't ask me what I was feeling at the time? You'd have an expert evaluate what I was feeling at the time? Yeah, so in some studies we do ask people uh, what they're experiencing or what they're feeling, but uh, research has also shown that human self-reporting is not always accurate. Uh -huh. So your face may be communicating something that you're not even aware of. Yeah, people do tend to express themselves in very subtle and nuanced ways, that's for sure. Okay, so that would strike some people as kind of creepy. Do you, for, for your volunteers, how do they feel about knowing? I mean, they've opted in, obviously, but uh, don't they feel a little self-conscious knowing that there is a, a camera not just watching them, but evaluating what they're feeling? Yeah, you would think so, but uh, with the studies we've done, people generally are comfortable with that and also typically quite quickly become unaware that we're analyzing them. Now, obviously, we've asked people to opt in and consent to these studies, so we explain very clearly what we do, what we analyze, how we use the data, how we store the data, so there is transparency there. Uh, when you think about these type of technologies deployed in the real world, we at Affectiva believe that opt-in and consent is important there as well. There needs to be transparency and clarity on what this technology is doing, how the data is being collected, how the data is analyzed, also how the data is stored. Because of course, potentially there's, there's concerns about data privacy because we're ultimately analyzing people's faces, we're analyzing their emotions, and that is very private. So opt-in and consent to us is very important, not just in how we collect data, but also how we believe this technology needs to be deployed. Right. And if this is being used to determine whether a driver, for example, is drowsy, I'm sure that insurance companies would love to get a hold of data like that. So how do you protect it? Well, so ultimately what we do is we provide the technology that analyzes the human face. And that technology is then sold to a car manufacturer who integrates it into their vehicles. And it's the car manufacturers that then also determine where in the vehicle the technology runs, how the data is stored, and where the data is sent to. Uh, and it also is with the auto manufacturers to determine what kind of agreements they engage with with the car buyers in terms of how the data is used. Do we at Affectiva advocate for that data being sold to insurance companies without a user's consent? No, absolutely not. But ultimately, it ends with 
the car manufacturers who deploy these technologies in their vehicles. So the manufacturers would decide how to use this. Then it would be up to them then what to do if your software detects that the driver is tired, whether to pull the car over or I think one system would actually wiggle the seat belt so it would uh, jolt you awake again. Uh, suppose, it, I mean, if it detected uh, road rage, would it dial up a, a psychologist or, you know, <laughs> shut the car off? Or, In other words, is this reliable enough to be entrusted with that kind of responsibility? Yeah, it is. It's definitely reliable enough and accurate enough that it can identify a certain state. So, for example, when you think about drowsiness, right, it's not just is someone awake or is someone asleep, right? You want to yeah. be able to detect levels of drowsiness, but also you want to have mindful adaptations in the vehicle. So, for example, if I'm driving and I'm yawning once or twice, I don't necessarily want all these alerts going off or my car with self-driving capabilities pulling me over, right? That that would not be appropriate. However, if I'm about to fall asleep, yes, that would maybe be an appropriate intervention. So in that example, being able to understand levels of a certain state and progression into various levels of that state is very important. And then being able to design vehicle adaptations that are mindful and respectful of that. And there's different schools of thought on that, and even the different car manufacturers take different approaches. But generally, it, it, the interventions kind of fall in the category that you were describing. It's either uh, a seat that vibrates, uh, maybe a seat belt that jolts, or a steering wheel that jolts. It could be a visual alert on the dashboard display, or it could even be an audio alert, because a lot of vehicles now have these uh, virtual assistants that are these audio assistants. And it might say, hey, you're getting uh, drowsy. Uh, you should consider pulling off of the next exit. And here's a map that will take you to a resting place. And uh, here's a route that we recommend you take. Now, with any technology this powerful, I always try to imagine how it could be misused. So do you have any sense that you are releasing a genie from the bottle here? Because, of course, I can imagine certain governments wanting to make sure that this software is on everybody's computer. All computers have cameras now so that they could detect not whether somebody is uh, suffering fatigue or not, but whether they're angry enough to, say, overthrow the government such that they need a knock on the door from the security forces. I mean, what do you do about that kind of scenario? So we, we walk away from those scenarios. It's that simple. We do not sell our technology into scenarios where there's no opt-in or consent, and we do not, for that reason, sell to government surveillance. Actually, in the early days of the company, uh, there was an offer for investment, a significant amount, about 40 million, from a, a funding uh, entity, if you will, that was essentially government surveillance. And with that funding came the stipulation that the technology would be developed and deployed for surveillance. The co-founders of the company walked away from that funding as they believed that that was not where we want this technology to be deployed. So it's about how we choose to deploy it. Mm. Would that investor have been China? No, actually, it was the U.S. government. It was the U.S. government? Really? Yes. It was, yeah, surprising, wasn't it? <laughs> uh, well, maybe not. So an entity maybe the U.S. government. Maybe not. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's very interesting indeed. That confirms a lot of people's worst fears about, uh, about uh, what the NSA might be up to. All right. So at this point, how ready is this for, for prime time? When do you expect to see it integrated into a product? Automotive? What we were talking about earlier, 
is still several years out before we see that in vehicles. We're now working with car manufacturers on getting this technology into vehicles that will be on the road in, let's say, a 2021 timeframe. However, as a company, when we first got started, the first market we were active in was in media and advertising. Uh And I'll explain that a little bit. Specifically, where the big brands of the world, about 25% of the Fortune Global 500, use our technology to analyze how target audiences respond to video content, such as ads. Because if you can analyze frame by frame how people are reacting to that content, With that data, you can essentially optimize the content and make it more effective. Again, it's all with opt-in and consent that people participate in that. But that was the first market where, at this point, I think it was eight years ago that we actually brought the first products to market. So the technology is in very specific use cases out there already. Right. So in other words, it's being used in focus groups, essentially. Yes, but it's not uh, the traditional focus groups where you get people to come into a room. It's basically large online studies that are being conducted you know, multiple countries at the same time with hundreds of participants. So being able to get lots of data and aggregate that data and get insight across a number of different demographics can be quite insightful for these advertisers. Mm-hmm. Now, uh, so uh, again, your philosophy is opt-in. So even though my computer monitor has a camera, it would not be turned on by your software to start assessing my facial expressions unless there was a very clear box that said, uh, we are about to start tracking your facial expressions. Do you consent to this or not? That's exactly how it works. Is there any place else with this technology that you would not go? Um, interestingly enough, there's been conversations, not, not by people that were necessarily interested in buying the technology, but conversations with people that suggested a use case in warfare. Um, those are areas that we stay clear from where there can be physical harm, if you will. Mm -hmm. We fundamentally as a company believe that the potential for this technology to have a meaningful impact and a positive impact on people's lives is so great. There's people doing tremendously interesting research using our technology in suicide prevention work, supporting children on the autism spectrum. There's even a surgeon that uses our technology to benchmark whether or not he's doing facial reconstructive surgery in in a successful way. Those type of use cases for us are so much more meaningful and such a more powerful way to use and deploy this technology that we generally just stay away from those areas where we believe harm gets done. Yes. And so other applications than beyond automotive, you you implied that there are medical applications as well? Yes, absolutely. So as a company, we're a small company and we have to focus and we can't build technologies for every single market. But in terms of early stage research that has been done, there's a tremendous amount of research and there's also someone who uses our technology to detect early signs of Parkinson's disease Mm -hmm. because there's indications of that on the human face. So those are massively interesting, but also in online education settings and being able to understand whether learners are getting frustrated or bored maybe even, and then being able to adapt that learning content in real time can have a tremendous impact on learning outcomes, where today mostly you just measure that through tests and if, what if you could prevent uh, early on and intervene. And So if you're taking one of those online courses at home, for example, the software could detect whether you were, were, were getting it, and uh, if you weren't, offer more help. Exactly, exactly. Or if you were getting bored, maybe it offers up a more difficult explanation or it speeds things up, right? Just different ways to engage people. But you can only do that 
if you understand what's truly going on with them. I like that. And eventually, you would have movies, which, if they detected you were getting bored with the plot, would simply use artificial intelligence to switch up the plot into something more interesting that you wanted to watch. You are absolutely right. Reactive narration. And we've done a little bit of that in the gaming industry, where there's one game developer that developed a game that basically adapts to the responses of the player and Uh changes the game narrative accordingly. It's pretty cool stuff. Yikes. You can exist in your own little world. (laughs) Governed by your real-time facial expressions. Well, that's fascinating. Gabby Ziderveld is the chief marketing officer of Affectiva. And um, uh, tell us about the app, the one that I have on my phone. You can, anybody can download that, right? Yeah, in Google Play or on the uh, Apple App Store. Uh, it's, if you could even either search for Affectiva or for Affdexme, A-F-F-D-E-X-Me, which is the name of a free app we have, and people can download that and play around with it. Right, and then find out what your emotions really are. <laughs> exactly. Gabby, thank you very much. Dave, thank you so much. Remember that when there's a longer version of the interviews on Seattle's Morning News, you can usually find it right here in the original form, unconstrained by the limitations of a live broadcast. And you can subscribe so that when someone says, did you hear what was on Seattle's Morning News, you can say, not only that, I heard the part that wasn't on Seattle's Morning News. So my advice is to subscribe. And then when we talk to an author, a politician, an entrepreneur, an artist, a scientist, a teacher, a journalist, a celebrity, you'll hear every word. I'm Dave Ross. Thanks for tuning in.